2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. would be want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you, put days like today in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Chip Kramer. You want to understand today's action? Dow surging 147 points, S&P gaining 0.63%, NASDAQ climbing 0.54%, a rapid rebound after yesterday's hideous beatdown. I'm going to make it real simple for you. The market is a spectacular, albeit, mercurial fashion show, just like the real thing. The same stocks that would strut down the market runway greeted with oohs and ahs can be pelted by tomatoes just a few weeks later. Stocks that have languished in the bargain bin for months suddenly start selling like hotcakes. When styles change, we call that a rotation on Wall Street. Investors are furiously recalibrating what they're willing to pay for. And just right now, they're happy to pay up for the stocks of solid companies with healthy dividends and ideally big buybacks. You know what? They've lost interest in the stocks of fast-growing companies, when it comes to revenues, that issue huge gobs of equity to pay people or come up with some bizarre new metrics to explain how they're really doing okay, even though they don't have much in the way of earnings, if any. In other words, the cloud stocks are out. Salesforce.com ServiceNow, Adobe, Workday, Okta, CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, Zscaler, I could go on and on. These names were all smoking red hot. And now they're struggling. And you have to wonder, I know, I know what you're thinking at home. You're thinking they were hot. Now something's gone wrong. Have the fundamentals deteriorated? Not at all. Aside from a few exceptions, the numbers remain fantastic. They're just not the numbers people want. Last night, Salesforce reported Monster Quarter and the stories about how the guidance for next quarter was weak. I'm calling them misleading. We know Adobe's been putting up terrific results. Sure, Workday in Palo Alto seems to have disappointed a little, but they still got phenomenal growth rates. So why did these stocks get hammered today? Because we got one more story suggesting that we might have a trade deal. Maybe we're getting closer to a trade deal with China than we were two days ago when we first heard the murmurings that an agreement might be hard to reach. Whenever we get positive chatter about the trade talks, traders start betting on a resurgence in the global economy. And when the global economy accelerates, nobody cares about these stocks with the consistently smoking hot high revenue growth. Instead, Wall Street wants cyclical companies that were doing poorly and can post big earnings growth if we get a stronger environment from a trade deal. Last night, last night we spoke to Michael McGarry. He's the CEO of PPG. He told us many of his businesses were doing pretty well, but what really represents upside is the Chinese auto market, where PPG coatings dominate because of their universally high quality. If we get any kind of trade deal, this company could have a huge up year in twenty twenty. So the stock flies to another all time high. When you think of Chinese autos, you gravitate to Illinois Toolworks, Works, a manufacturer's manufacturer that rallied nicely today. Hey, they didn't even have a couple of good they had a couple of tough quarters, frankly. Who cares? Emerson Electric's chock full of China business, so it runs. Deer. Oh, here's a good one. Deer just reported an extremely difficult quarter. Hey, no China trade deal, right? Uh, At a time when the trade talks looked like they were just done. Dead. Now the stock's flying. On the renewed hopes of a trade deal. Same with FedEx. Stock that was just criticized by an analyst who suggested the other day estimates are too high. But that won't be the case if the trade deal with China improves. Even 3M, which has had its fair share of problems, has enough Chinese exposure to pique the interest of traders. What else works if we're making progress in the trade talks? Well, any kind of rollback in tariffs would be great news for the retailers. Home Depot got a lot of wares made in China, including many product lines from Stanley Black and Decker. So they both rally. The beleaguered Home Depot can rally. Who else wins from a trade deal? The banks. Because any deal is likely to allow our financial institutions to do more business in the People's Republic. Did you see that stock at J.P. Morgan Day, Citigroup, America, even Goldman Sachs? Oh, and if you need confirmation that things might improve, look no further than the price of oil, which finally got some lift. Now, granted, oil's probably climbing because of OPEC supply cuts, but if the price of crude can rally, that means the oil stocks can rally, and the positive pin action from an oil stock that rallies immediately extends to the drillers, and it's conceivable that it might even extend to the beleaguered Master Limited Partnerships. You want crazy. I found myself saying, am I nuts? Union Pacific, the railroad. All aboard! Okay, get this. They came out with some grim tidings today. Fourth quarter volumes are going to be down at least 10%. In another market, this stock might have fallen 10%. On that news, no, went higher, much higher. The fashionistas drooled over the $7 billion-plus that Union Pacific returned to shareholders in the first three quarters of 2019, including five dividend boosts in the past nine quarters. Industrial volumes flat, ag minus two, premium products off 14, energy down 20, coal secular decline. Oh, but that didn't matter at all to the buyers because expenses are being slashed left and right, third-quarter workforce down 13%, trains running much more efficiently, 2,800 stored locomotives allowing for a fabulously low operating ratio. And that's the real driver of performance of the rails. You layer on the possibility of a Chinese deal, and this, i got to tell you, Union Pacific is the one that benefits the most. Oh, and of course, the more cyclical tech hardware stocks work, the ones that play in 5G, data centers, autonomous driving, Internet of Things, that's IoT, electric vehicles, and artificial intelligence, all soared thanks to a terrific pre-announcement by a little alpha called microchip. They're undervalued by traditional metrics and, and trade on earnings, not sales, earnings. And those earnings could rocket higher on a trade. So what are you be thinking about? Yes, it's the green light to Micron. It's the green light to Qualcomm. Yes, you can buy Broadcom. Yes, you can do analog devices. Texas Instruments up a little too much. That's what's working as long as the rotation lasts. So what do we do with the stocks that have been kicked off the runway? As I told you earlier this week, the sell-off in the high-flying growth stocks tend to last for a week or even weeks, sometimes longer. Do we really need the stock of Amazon when we can own the much less expensive dividend and buyback king like Apple? What's the appeal of Salesforce.com here? After the big Dreamforce Confab is over. Alphabet stock rallied, but that's an anomaly based on a management shift. With investors maybe breathing a sigh of relief as the founders stepped down as co-CEOs with the much more focused Sundar Pinchai. Sundar Pinche taking the helm is good news for that stock. There's one big problem with these uh, trade-related relate, uh, rotations, though. They're all as temporary as they are torturous. If the Chinese don't buy billions of dollars in pork, will the slow ones now later be fast because the times they are changing? If the president says he's not rolling back tariffs, if the December 15 tariff hikes go into effect, you'll want the stocks that are being sold today, not the ones that were being bought. That's why I recommend using these rotations to readjust your portfolio. The companies being thrown away are those that are surfing the biggest secular growth story of our era, the digitization of enterprises. They digitize or die. And only about 15% of the world's enterprises have adopted the core digitization of the cloud. That's why I say wait a couple more days, then start doing some buying in the out-of-fashion stocks, anticipating the next wave up. These fashion rotations, well, let me give you the bottom line. They don't turn in a day. So wait a little longer and then pick your favorite digitization play from the ones I just talked about. It's better to catch them on the way down, not chase them on the way up. Let them come to you, fortunately. That's exactly what they're doing, Cody in Michigan. Cody,
3: hey Jim, first time caller, newer investor. Can I get a booyah,
2: booyah? Thank you. Welcome.
3: So I got into L Brands near the 52-week low of 1580 um, on November 20th. I got out a week later after 18% run-up, and uh, a week later gave up 11%. But today it jumped about 8% on uh, right. closing at
2: 1870. Should I get back in, uh, given the whole rebranding and the Victoria's Secret structure? Or right? What should I do? Well, you see, I got to tell you, Cody, I am addicted to high quality, and that one is not high quality. So, if this starts going back down, I don't have a reason why uh, to recommend it. I mean, take a stock like Five Below, which I like. I mean, the stock was getting hit, getting hit, getting hit. Uh, Matthew Boss the other day from JP Morgan saying, you know what, it's good. Then they report a great quarter tonight, and the stock is soaring. I'd rather have high quality that's down. Then, low quality that's really down, hoping for a bounce, and that's what you're playing with. That's called playing with fire. I need Anaketh in Texas. Anaketh.: Hey, Jim, I'm a high school senior, and I wanted your opinion on ARWR. Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals. Do- you know, this so one, the they just did an equity offering. Remember, we liked it. It went up 60%. They did an equity offering. Now the stock is trying to settle because they've got a lot of supply out there. You've got to wait four or five days before we see the stock settle because there's stock all over the place. They flooded the joint with merchandise. We can't buy in until we see it settle. I need to go to Tom in Illinois. Tom. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah, Jim,
3: I've noticed that uh, Luckin Coffee has been going up for the last couple of weeks. Right on a daily basis, and I was wondering if you consider this a buy at this point, and
2: how do you think this will affect Starbucks in China? Well, I think that they're on parallel tracks. I mean, uh, this stock turned out to be undervalued uh, because it's growing so fast. We talked about it with the Nigerians just today when I was on Scott Wabner's show. I think the stock has advanced too much, started selling off today. I prefer Starbucks. Why? Because I like The bluer chip names. And I also, uh, you know, have an aversion to buying Chinese stocks because of the temper of the times. All right, people, listen to me. Use this rotation to readjust your portfolio. Wait a couple more days, then catch your favorite on the way down. That's how we use rotations. We don't chase up. We let it come to us. Man, money tonight. The truth will set you free, and it can help your portfolio. I'm telling you why. Then I'm talking with Robin Hood. Men in stocks. I last spoke to the company in 2016, and here's what they said.
1: We announced a few weeks ago that we just crossed uh, a million users.
2: Today, that number tops 10 million. Congratulations. I've got the exclusive Fresh Off the And 21 days until Christmas. Wow, that's all? How is the maker of one of the number one toys this holiday season positioning itself? I'm talking to the, yes, owner of the Barbie franchise to find out. Do not miss my exclusive with Mattel. And stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
2: Could this be the holiday season where Mattel, the iconic toy maker, finally turns itself around? For years, the company behind Barbie, Fisher-Price, American Girl Dolls, Hot Wheels, Woo, and lots of other owned and licensed brands has struggled. Mattel's going through a rotating cast of CEOs for in as many years. They've had to cope with the bankruptcy and liquidation of Toys R Us, monster for everybody. And earlier this year, they had an accounting investigation. But under the leadership of its current CEO, Enon Christ, the company seems like it's gotten its act together. The accounting issue is behind him. The fall from Toys R Us has been put to bed. And at the end of October, Mattel reported an excellent quarter. So it's the comeback for real. Let's check in with Enon. He is the chairman and CEO of Mattel. Learn more about his company's doing it and where it's headed. Mr. Carson, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you. Now, I want everyone to know this. This man told me that there would be a series of things that would happen. They'd put an accounting scandal behind him. They would cut costs rather dramatically. They would start inele- using intellectual property. They would be able to make it so that they had no problems with the tariffs. Everything you said happened. How come?
5: Well, when I joined 18 months ago, I saw an opportunity to transform a tail into an IP driven, high performing toy company. Intellectual property, right. And we put together a strategy that had two phases. In the short to mid term, it was about restoring profitability and drive top line growth. Mm-hmm. And in the mid to long term, it was about capturing value from our IP. And we've been executing exactly as planned. In terms of restoring profitability, for five quarters in a row, we improved. Reported operating income, EBITDA, earning per share, and gross margin. Five quarters in a row, each of these metrics. We are now in, on, on pace to reduce our cost base by more than $854 million. Run rate savings, exit, exit in 2019. We're putting together a capital light strategy to dramatically capital reduce... You're
2: still in a lot of factories. You guys were a giant steel mill of toys, right? That's <laughs> over. You well, still
5: own some plants, though. It is. We do own plants. We are in the process of reducing our manufacturing footprint. We already took out one, uh, reduced, uh, consolidated one plant in Mexico. More coming. We announced that we are reducing, uh, uh, achieving uh, cost efficiencies of $50 million starting 2020 uh, into 2021 right. and beyond. Fix that balance sheet. No short-term
2: uh, real issues. Now you need do something else. You're from the entertainment background. You took a iconic... But kind of like, you know, languishing doll, Barbie, 12% double-digit increase?
5: How? Well, Barbie is doing great. We actually had now eight consecutive quarters of growth, seven of which have been double-digit. This is a phenomenal performance driven really by our ability to make Barbie part of pop culture, current and contemporary with, with today's demand. Look at his beautiful dolls. Um, this is part of uh, a co- pretty uh, complicated line right. of a lot of innovation, a lot of new product. This is the Barbie uh, Fashionista, which is the number one representative of, of diversity of, and inclusion. Here you're looking at Barbie in, in, um, in on a wheelchair right. and Judge Barbie, which is part of the I Can Be line, which is really a way of, of us representing more than 200 careers for Barbie and empowering girls to do Anything they want to be.
2: In the meantime, you you're, you know the entertainment business. You've you got some movies lined up, movies that a lot of people might see in the way we used to think about uh, Toy Story, so to
5: speak. That's right. We've announced eight movie projects with some of the biggest and most um, successful filmmakers of today. We have two movies in, in, with Warner Brothers in partnership with Warner Brothers, two with MGM, with Sony, with Paramount, with Jason Blum. People like Tom Benning Hanks Talua. that
2: I would not normally associate with Mateo. That's
5: right. So Tom Hanks uh, is in partnership with us for a great project together, w- uh, together with Paramount and Akiva Goldsman for Major Matt Mason. The Barbie project is also one that is going to be really exciting in partnership with Warner Brothers, Margot Robbie as the lead actor, uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Bamback mm-hmm. as our creative partners, writers, directors, and it's going to be great. This is because your background, which is not just traditional toy. That's right. I I have a strong background in content and IP, and this is really the opportunity that I saw more in the mid to long term in terms of commercializing our brands and finding transformative opportunities for us to be part of other verticals that are directly adjacent to the toy industry. Think film, television, live events, consumer product and merchandise, games, music, all of which represent tremendous opportunity for a company like Mattel that owns such a strong collection of colossal, generational global brands that have so much resonance and appeal.
2: Right, toys, traditionally 85% in the industry made in, in China. You're about two-thirds. Uh, that is considered to be good. But isn't the truth that that's still a lot when we have new tariffs coming and it's going to hurt your profitability?
5: Well, we are in a better position than the industry average, given our product mix. But we are obviously monitoring and looking closely at the situation regarding tariffs. Our job is to develop and design an organization that is flexible, that can respond to market changes. And And fast, like Baby
2: Yoda is not... I mean, the old Mattel, Baby Yoda would probably come out, what, uh, you know, like when a sequel comes
5: out or something? Yeah, Baby Yoda is a great phenomena. It happened fast, and we were able to move really quickly and with great design and supply chain capabilities, are able to now put the product on shelves April 1st. It's already available for sale and we're very happy to be part, of, uh, be part of that phenomenon.
2: Infant, toddler, and preschoolers, what I knew Motel as, they're not doing well. What are you going to do?
5: Well, Fisher-Price is the number one, number one infant preschool property in the industry, and that category is the number one uh, in, in, the toy, in the toy sector. Okay. So we're still a market leader. We are taking all the relevant actions that you need, uh, you think about in terms of product innovation, design, a marketing campaign that is uh, addressing uh, parents and millennial parents, and already are seeing uh, a change of trend. Fisher-Price Core, which is by far the lion's share of the category, was down 1% in the mm-hmm. last quarter, and we're seeing momentum with a new product, a new marketing campaign that we put putting together.
2: Okay, previous company, uh, Maker, you uh, sold, made a fortune, sold to Disney. Is the goal to f-
5: turn it around and flip it? We're building a great company. We're leveraging the capabilities we have, the assets that we own, the market standing that we have, reaching over 375,000 doors globally, working with all the major retailers all over the world. And you're seeing now a trend. In addition to five quarters of improving profitability, we now had three quarters of, re- of, uh, re- of regaining top-line growth in constant currency, and two as reported. We haven't done that in- since 2013. So you're seeing strong momentum on, 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 on profitability, momentum in top line, and more will come.
2: All right. Sounds like you're staying, and the turn is real. <laughs> okay. That's Sinan Christ, the chairman and CEO of Mattel. Remember what I said? He said all these things were going to happen. I waited. They've happened. Their money back after the break.
4: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance. With Acura's all-electric ZDX, with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs.
2: Uh, you want to know what disruption really looks like when well, you're looking at it. It's about what happens when the discount brokerage firms over the past few months get really just, I mean, slammed. First, Schwab got rid of commissions, forcing TD Ameritrade and E-Trade to follow suit. Then a couple of weeks ago, we learned that Schwab is buying Ameritrade because they're desperate to consolidate What's driving all this turmoil? You know, what I, you know what I think is? I think it's Robinhood. It's the privately held operator that launched its commission-free brokerage platform in 2015. This company's been growing like a wee 10 times since we saw them last in 2016. Threatening legacy operators, forcing them to play by a new set of rules. A good set of rules. As of today, 10 million people have accounts at Robinhood. That's more accounts than E-Trade and only a little less than the 12 million or so at Schwab or Trade. How do they do it? Robinhood's got a great handle on what millennials want. The median age of the customers is just 30, and about half of them are first-time investors. You know, I love that. It's so what makes this company so enticing to its venture capital backers. Given about $900 million, more than that in a second, it's why they've been able to disrupt the entire industry. So let's take a close look with Vlad Tenev and Beju Bhatt. They're the co-founders and co-CEOs of Robinhood. We'll learn more about how they upended the online brokerage space and what's next. Vlad and Beju, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having us. It awesome is a delight to, delight to have you, because when I met you, I said they got it. They got <laughs> it. They figured out what the millennials wanted. But $10 million? I mean, What do you adding in a day?
6: So we've been growing uh, very quickly over the last couple of years. One of the things that we're really excited about is our customers tell us over half of them are investing for the first time with Robinhood. So it's taking the market and, and really growing it substantially.
2: All right. Now, we could argue that, yes, you have $10 million but that they're small. Uh, now, I could come back and say, well, of course, they're small. These people are young. They don't have a lot of money. But uh, relatively, do you say to yourself, well, look, we have 10 million, but but that is not apples to apples versus an e-trade or a, or a swap?
1: Well, like you mentioned, when we first came here a few years ago, we were at 1 million, um, and we thought that was quite an awesome milestone. And now we're here with, with 10 million accounts with uh, Robinhood. And I think it's, it's just a testament to what we've been able to do. We're proud of the fact that we've enabled so many younger investors and first-time investors to have access to the markets because we believe uh, that the more people that have access to the markets and can start investing earlier,
2: the better off our economy will be. All right, but let, let's play devil's advocate. Is it really commissions that kept these people, or is it an app? Is it an ethos? What made these people not open an account with the other guys and open it with you?
6: See, I think uh, when we first started Robinhood, uh, which was you know several years ago now, we had you know, lived through the financial crisis of 2008, right. and we had seen how the younger generation had felt really frustrated, disenfranchised with the way that the system worked, and we saw an opportunity to build a product that really spoke to that generation, and commissions is a part of it. Right. Part of it's also building a product that's easy to use, that's mobile-centric, and that really puts customers first. Right. And all of these things together have been what's really driven us. And the other part about this is, is that from the very beginning, our mission has been to democratize the financial system. Thank you. Um, and for us, this isn't a headline. It's not a gimmick or a billboard ad. It's the central reason why we started the company. And it flows through all the decisions that we make.
2: Now, when uh, I started the Street.com, I went out to see trade And what was their mission? To democratize. Now, what happened that they didn't necessarily lose the way of good business, but you knew the next step was to get rid of commissions and have a better app? Is that, is that what empowered people?
1: Our focus has always been on three things. One, and this one's very important, is to get as many first-timers, new investors, into the markets and opening up access. The second is to grow with our customers. Right. We want to fill a variety of financial needs for our customers, not just investing. But we recently announced our cash management program, which gives customers uh, a high interest, very competitive interest on their uninvested cash, as well as a great debit card that's accepted at over 75,000 ATMs worldwide. And the third is international expansion. We recently announced that we're coming to the UK and started giving people the opportunity to sign up for early access. And that's part of our overall goal of giving Robinhood and the best possible tools to as many people around the world as possible. Okay,
2: so let's go over what people are doing. You do not do fractional shares. We don't have fractional shares right now. So are people buying these $3, $4, $5 stocks that we may know are not that good? Or are they putting by one share of an Amazon and one share of an Alphabet, meaning, you know, the, the so-called new blue chips? I mean, How do you encourage them to be responsible? Or are they doing with ETFs? Because I like the, you know, we had Anthony Noto in here, you know, he's the guy who runs SoFi. I don't want people to buy junk. Yeah. I, but people have every right to buy whatever they want. We accept that. What kind of stocks are they buying? So...
6: We see a lot of our customers for the very first time wanting to buy companies that they've heard of, obviously. Right. So we see companies like Apple that are very popular okay, on our platform. Good, good. And we also have made a real dedicated uh, push to making sure there's more content on our platform that helps yes. customers learn and understand what they're doing when they get into the system. So, one example of which is we earlier this year acquired a company and launched the Robin Hood Snacks podcast. Which oh, yeah, funny. Which, uh, which I personally. Funny, really I don't loved. mean funny, but you know, yeah.
2: I thought it was catchy.
6: Yeah, I love it's that. Good, I listen to it uh, pretty regularly, and I think that's an example of the kind of things that we're doing so that as people are getting started with investing, mm-hmm. they, have the, they have the tools and they have the information so that they can grow as investors.
2: Okay, uh, let me just Vlad, uh, you heard my narrative at the top, got $900 million. I believe you as the disruptor that triggered a domino effect. Is that uh, too apocryphal, or is that really what you think happened to well, we've always been focused on
1: opening up access and being the cu- the most customer-centric right. financial services company, and I think in some ways what's happened in the industry uh, is great for consumers. Right. People are paying lower prices, and that's, uh, that's something that's gone beyond Robinhood, and is now available to tens of millions of consumers across the U.S. Right,
2: and people should know that you can make money, order flow, you can make money on account balances. You've never hidden that. There's no, there's not, this guy, you guys have been completely transparent about what's going on. Yes, we generate revenue in
1: a number of ways. Robinhood Mm -hmm. gold, order rebates from market makers, stock loan, uh, interest on cash, and now interchange from debit card transactions with a
6: cash management offering. But one thing I'd add to that is that, While the ways that we make money, like Vlad mentioned, are there, Mm -hmm. the thing that makes Robinhood really unique is that it's incredibly efficient in the way that it operates because we're from the ground up a technology company which allows us to build really modern systems that have our systems be much more automated, much more stable by just having code execute. Okay, so uh,
2: the last question I have is, uh, I know you've got smaller investors than these other guys, but when I first heard about you, I felt maybe it's happening again. Maybe people understand only a piece of a great company is back. Not just an SP. They have smart they're smart. They know how to Google. They can look up things. Even with a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. They're getting involved in buying shares of great American and international companies. Am I right? Or have we just been brainwashing and thinking we're too stupid to own individual stocks? Is it changing?
6: So one of our core values is that participation is power. Yes. And I think that kind of just says it all. Everyone in this country and soon around the world should have the ability to participate in our financial system. It's something that the two of us you know, really hold dearly and, mm-hmm. and appreciate as even a Even the small society. people,
2: because your accounts are yeah. not as big as the E-Trade. And even, those people, right? Those people mm-hmm. can get a piece of America. Absolutely. A piece of a corporation. And you're bringing it back because it's been dead. It's been dead for a decade. Now, I'm really proud of what you guys are doing because I'm sick of hearing that you can't ever own a stock and do well. You're just all you got to do is own an index fund because you're stupid. It's not true. American people are not stupid. You're empowering them. Thank you for what you do. That is Vlad Tentav. You bet. That's Vlad Tentav and Beijou Bot, Robin and co-founders and co-CEOs who make me excited again that people are looking at individual stocks. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, bud. Stick with Kramer. business model, being a single source of truth for your customers, or being the world's biggest source of untruths for people who don't know better. I'm not trying to deliver some sort of righteous homily about ethics. This is mad money. I'm talking about the struggle between two very different business models, one championed by Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, the other by Salesforce.com's Mark Benioff. Facebook doesn't care whether its ads are true. It just cares about advertising dollars. It's the equivalent of a utility common carrier. It doesn't care who rides on it. It's not a newspaper. But Salesforce, on last night's conference call, we get more than just the usual facts and figures about what about it's still another blowout quarter that, by the way, people didn't think was a blowout. On top of that, Benioff delivered a a pin to uh, the value of truth. And when I say value, I mean dollar value. Benioff argued that businesses need a customer 360 approach, bring in a single source of truth so the people inside and outside your organization know that your company can be trusted with your data, with the facts, with the figures. The word truth surfaced dozens of times on the call. The subtext here, Benioff wanted to distinguish Salesforce M.O. from a company like Facebook, which Benioff has argued could have a far more amoral approach to business. Earlier this year at the World Economic Forum, Benioff famously described Facebook as akin to smoking, a bad habit that gives you cancer. He's been adamant that the government should step in to regulate companies like Facebook that don't care about distinguishing between truth and lies in the ads they sell. Zuckerberg argues that this is a slippery slope, and he doesn't want to play the role of censor. I think it's an understandable position. But Benioff thinks they're sacrificing truth in the order of profits. He's not alone. Two weeks ago, Sacha Baron Cohen, better known as Ali G or Borat, gave a speech at the Anti-Defamation League, where he argued that the Internet has become history's greatest propaganda machine for hatred and bigotry. He called out specifically Mark Zuckerberg as the worst violator because he insists that it isn't Facebook's job to police anything. Baron Cohen blew right through Godwin's law, arguing Facebook would happily sell 30-second ads to Adolf Hitler under its current policy. Now, what does this have to do with your money? Until last night, I would have said nothing. I thought this stuff was all pretty philosophical, ethereal, but now I know better. I think Benioff is taking out a strategy that says you can't trust companies like Facebook because they don't care about your truth, whereas you can trust a company like Salesforce because its ethos is about truth. I used to believe the marketplace would ultimately decide whether freedom of reach, Zuckerberg's philosophy, could coexist with freedom of speech. But after listening to these critics, I don't know. I'm worried that uh, I think we're headed toward a future where Facebook may have to be regulated to avoid the more universally regarded as heinous a- ads out there. I think some it, it, soon it, it, if someone pays Facebook uh, to facilitate a genocide ad, they're going to have to take that ad down and they're going to have to give the money back. Either Facebook does it themselves or I think the government will do it for them. You could argue that these are two competing ideologies or competing approaches to business. That's certainly how Benioff frames it. It might be a little more complicated than that though. Salesforce isn't really a consumer focused company and Facebook's customers aren't its users. Their customers are advertisers who may want to lie to you. If Facebook was charging you for its content, they'd probably care a lot more about what the content says. But I wonder, why can't they just sticker? We have no, we have not reviewed this ad for truth. Why haven't they done that? It's beyond me. I think they can coexist as stocks your portfolio, and my trust owns both. But Facebook's become a riskier bet now that, because neither major political party cares for Zuckerberg, and nobody wants to see a 30-second spot calling for genocide just because Facebook wants to be Switzerland. With Salesforce, you simply don't have that kind of regulatory risk. So as both of these stocks go down, now that they're falling out of favor on the Wall Street fashion show, I have to tell you, I do prefer Salesforce. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the light round. And then the lighting round over. Are you ready? skate? time the light round. i going to Carol and your Carol. Hi, Jim. In light of Monday's discussion about keeping an eye on selling into strength, on a day like today, even though my position in KLAC is still down significantly, would I be selling some? No, 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 no. Um... Uh, i this is K L A C or K-L-A-T? K-L-A-C, Clack, uh, clock um uh, is the one i want to i do want you to own K L 10 core i do prefer um by the way just now K-L-A. I prefer lamb K L A C. oh okay that's K. that's another symbol um yeah i mean i don't know that's it's up three i think i'm sorry the sock is up big i thought you said it was down big uh, don't touch it it's a very good situation OK, let's go to Crystal in California. Crystal.
0: Happy holiday, Mr. Kramer. How Thank are
2: you? you. Thank you.
4: Do you think Twitter is still a good company to own I'm in my own I, own I I had gotten
2: more positive on Twitter. I have to admit that I think it might be ill-advised that Jack Dorsey spends the next six months in Africa because I think that's hard. I think it's hard to manage a company from there versus where the rest of his staff is. It makes me um, I, I, more concerned. How about that? I think it's ill-advised. Let's go to Peter in Idaho, please. Peter. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Doing great. Doing great, Jim. Jim, I've had some success with LGI in the past, but I'm wondering what a professional thinks. Well, you know, not my fame. Not my fave. Uh, I, I do uh, prefer... Wow. Um, the, I want to be sure again, LGH is a housing company, and that's not the right symbol coming up. So... L-G-I-H L-G-I-H Oh, okay, L-G-I-H. I know L G I Homes. that's a very inexpensive stock It's a good stock uh, Not as good as as Lenart, which is what I'm recommending But it's good Let's go to Quindell in California, Quindell Hey Jim, how you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, how about you?
0: Hey man, I'm so excited to be on your show Oh, uh, thank, you. Man. thank you Big booyah to you, man Alright <laughs> All right. Hey, I want to know
2: what you uh, thought about plug uh, power, ticker P-L-U-G. Okay, this isn't one of those situations. It's always speculative. People always say it's about to have this great fuel cell system. I have historically, when it got up to this level, said sell, sell, sell. But I know people in, uh, uh, who follow me on Twitter saying, please, Jim, get behind it. I can't. It just went up 166%. But I do understand the speculative juices. Uh, I can't applaud it, though. Let's go to Gregory in Florida. Gregory. Big booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking the call. Thank you for everything
5: you do. Oh, thank you. What
3: interesting
5: for us home gamers.
3: Thank you. Uh, Listen,
2: uh, a few months ago, I took a small position in Ventas VTR since then, taking about a 20% haircut. Uh, Management gave really disappointing guidance on their last call. They were not very optimistic on the senior housing and reduced guidance. Uh, You know, I know you said Deborah Coforo is a, bankable CEO, but Jim, is the thesis still good? I, 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 was, um, I was stunned at that last conference call. I was stunned. I, I was very surprised. Uh, they're in the penalty box. I wish they weren't, but uh, they disagreed with a strategy that they with uh, some numbers that they had put out not that long before. Uh, Deb was too optimistic, and uh, so that stock is in the penalty box. I have to be truthful to my own view. Let's go to Larry in California. Please, Larry. Good Hello there. Hello from California there. Oh, thanks for What's up? Uh, question. A few weeks ago in Barron's, uh, they ran a story about three mutual funds that have beaten the S&P 500 so far this year. Okay. Uh, one of them, they, uh, knock on wood, I own uh, Vanguard Dividend Growth. Okay. Good fun. The other is Fidelity Growth. Good and the other one is T Row Price and Okay, but these are mutual funds. How about a stock? Okay, I'm getting to that. All right. Uh, uh, the second, now the, the number two holding of T Row Price is COO, which is Cooper. The Cooper Cooper's company. good. It's a contact lens business, it's a growth business. I understand, and I think it's not bad. Uh, not my favorite, but because it's a little pricey, but not bad. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: You often call us about these, and you know, we're always on the hunt for relatively unknown medical technology companies. With potentially game changing new therapies. When you find one of these, the gains can be enormous, bigger than an index fund. What is the action in Avita Medical? It's an Australian regenerative medicine company with a novel system for treating burns and other types of wounds. They call it spray on skin cells. Normally when you get a severe burn, the doctors will take a skin sample from somewhere else in your body, then stretch it out over the area that's damaged, but this system isn't super efficient. And it's very painful. Last year, though, the FDA approved a Vita resale system. They take a little bit of your skin. They spray it on the burn area to get healthy new skin growing. The key here is that their system requires a lot less donor skin to work. And because they're spraying on you, it tends to heal more evenly than the current standard of care, which heals from the outside in more than a second. It's an intriguing story. That's why Vita stock has rallied more than 600% year-to-date. However, this thing is still pretty new. It came up from the pinchies and just started trading on the NASDAQ a couple of months ago. And extremely speculative, almost a billion dollars, though. Still, I think it's worth doing some more homework. Let's take a closer look with Dr. Mike Purry. He's the CEO of Avita Medical Symbol, RCEL, to learn more about this technology and what it means for the company's future. Dr. Purry, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for for coming on. All right, so some people think the following has to be too good to be true. Uh, reduced donor skin requirement up to 97.5%, significantly less donor site pain, significantly higher patient satisfaction with donor site appearance, significantly better donor site scarring results, significantly greater incidence of donor site healing, one in two weeks. How is this possible versus the current standard?
3: We're changing the paradigm and really increasing the outcomes for patients. Um, this is possible because of the technology that was invented by the surgeon in Western Australia that started this around the time of the Bali bombings. and. Uh, has, uh, this was in her laboratory at the time, and uh, has really been revolutionary for patients. We just launched in January of this year.
2: Now, the FDA the has approved it. Have yes. they approved it for all sorts of degree burns?
3: Uh, they approved it for second and third degree second burns, Second and third yes. degree burns. Yes.
2: Um, how much quicker is it healing? Um, it's, it's healing
3: approximately the same time. It's the amount of donor skin we're okay. taking okay. so substantially less. Um, yet we're getting a better course of healing in approximately the same time. Uh, Savings to the system? Savings to the system are fantastic so not only are we increasing the outcomes for patients and really enhancing them. Uh, but we are saving money for the healthcare system. For example, um, Maricopa, which is in Arizona's second largest burn center in the United States, they estimated that by using resale
2: consistently, they'll save $28 million a year. Okay, now I should tell you, and that's a staggering number, but I made some calls uh, in the dermatology field in New York. I was surprised at the lack of awareness of what you offer. So where are you in the educational campaign?
3: In the educational end of things, we are already actually in over 50 percent of the burn centers in the United States. And for those burn centers that we're not in you know, it's one of those things where uh, you've, you've got to get your time and get rolling. Uh, but we have our clinical training specialists, and our medical affairs team. Um, they're out there. They're working hard. And um, I'm really proud of the progress that they made over this year. Again, remember, we just launched in January this year. And uh, uh,
2: PMDA approval of resale in Japan matters?
3: Oh, it matters a lot. Uh, it's under review right now. PMDA is the Japanese equivalent of the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, they're under review. We're expecting a broad label, um, broad indications, not just burns. Okay. Um, and that will be coming in next well, calendar year. Perhaps cosmetic? Um, perhaps some element of cosmetics. We're transitioning into cosmetics through vitiligo. Uh, Vitiligo is that disease where you get white spots in your oh, yeah. skin where you right. don't have pigmentation. Uh, Michael Jackson is probably the most well known for it. Right. Um, and previously, you you couldn't repigment yourself. Uh, you with our system, this. we can restore pigment to its original. We will be able to. We can do this in other countries. In the U.S., of course, we need to run our randomized clinical
2: control uh, One files. of the most horrible things that we read about in the papers, and it's just devastating, pediatric scalds. Yes. But that's a separate category. And how does the FDA feel about your product in that?
3: So right now, we're not approved in pediatrics. We're approved in adults. We are doing two trials, though, in pediatrics. They're being funded by the government. So this is non-dilutive capital for us, um, $25 million for the two pediatric trials. And uh, one of them is specifically in pediatric scalds. And, you know, child knocks a boiling pot of water off the stove. Um, this This is really horrible. Treating them early is the key. And we're going to be doing that, and we've already done it in other countries, and we've shown the outcomes, uh, really almost scarless healing.
2: In your uh, documents, you talk about outside-in versus inside, and it was confusing to me. Unfortunately, never had to have this kind of situation, but obviously outside-in, the current current standard of care seems very uh, antediluvian versus what you're doing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so it's really how do burns heal. And um, if you think about it biologically, it makes good sense. There's this free edge effect. So whether you've got a paper cut or you've got a 40% total body surface area burn, it's the edges of the uh, wound that heals from the outside in. What we do by spraying your own skin cells across the entire surface area, is we're taking that free edge effect that's usually limited to those free edges, we're spreading it across the surface area of the wound. That's why we can take a very small sample of He's the patient's the skin. Card example. And the credit, card. the credit card example, that's really, if I were burned across my entire back from the bottom of my neck to the top of my waist. Uh, normally, we'd be looking at taking thighs, taking arms—you know, large donor skin um, samples. Those are extraordinarily painful. And instead of doing that, we for for an adult human back like mine, we could take about the size of a credit card, create the spray, and not only cover the back. Uh, but have a, a really nice aesthetic outcome with it as well. it, it does sound well.
2: like miraculous uh, work, particularly for people who I know are in tremendous pain and agony. All right, that is Dr. Mike Perry. He's the CEO of Avita Medical. Do some homework, because I said it's speculative, but you heard what the technology does, and they do have the money to take this through, through fruition. Stick with Kramer. <laughs> Congratulations to those guys that Five below and of course map cost blow out quarter. I like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere and I promise I find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
4: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery.